A lifeguard shortage is affecting public pools across the country. The problem of child sex abuse in the Boy Scouts of America. This extremely tight-knit community shattered by gun violence. I don't want another young gymnast, Olympic athlete, or any individual to experience the horror that I and hundreds of others have endured. Closing pools nationwide is causing some unexpected people to step up. Welcome, y'all, to episode 19 of Staffing Safety Society. I'm Kevin Trapani. And I'm Paige Bagwell. Today, we'll continue the discussion on aquatic safety, specifically the importance of ongoing realistic training. And we're going to bring in one of our very own consultants here at Redwoods, Maggie McDonald. Maggie is our technical safety consultant who has been working in the Redwoods Consulting Department for six years. Today, she serves as our technical development consultant and aquatic specialist. Prior to coming to Redwood, she worked in aquatics and youth programming at the YMCA Greater Boston, the Old Colony YMCA in Massachusetts, and the Attleboro, Massachusetts YMCA. Maggie, welcome to Staffing Safety Society. Thank you. Excited to be here with you guys. We are excited hey, to have you. And, and as you know, because Maggie, of course, you are a regular listener to the podcast. Uh, yes. I am. My Spotify said I was. I don't know if you guys get those year-end wrap-ups, but. Very nice. So, Mm -hmm. right. The podcast is your number one thing you listen to. Maybe Jimmy Buffett's second or third. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, as you know, uh, we always start with today's headline. And today's headline is unavoidable. The headline is March Madness begins today. The time is here. It is. This is the time of year when office productivity declines and we cheer for men's and women's college basketball teams wearing dark uniforms, right? Because the dark uniforms are always the lower seeded team. And we hope that they make buzzer beaters to take down the giants of the game. I have two things on my mind today, aside from hoping for a long run from Duke's men's and women's teams in the tournament. First, while most of us will pick a bracket, this month, I just want to advise everybody this month, just as in life. Don't worry about a few losses. Surprising as it may sound, there's never, ever been a confirmed perfect bracket in how many decades of March Madness? There's 63 games in each bracket. That makes, Paige, I know you have this at the top of your head, but 9.2 quintillion possible outcomes, which means that just the millions of people who fill in a bracket still just cover only a tiny share of the scenarios. And so don't get upset. Don't spend a lot of money because none of us are experts on this stuff. And even the experts get this stuff wrong all the time. I was pleased to see Barack Obama picked Duke to go all the way through until I found (laughs) out that he's only ever picked one winner. (laughs) Yes, he's pretty good on that. The second thing on my head is to try to find the time to watch the Iowa women's star. Her name is Caitlin Clark. She really may be the United States' most entertaining college basketball player, men's and women's. Uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James are huge fans. She is phenomenal. And the thing that she's really known for that I just love, she just pulls up and hits what are called logo threes. Like she's Mm -hmm. hitting shots from about half court all the time. And, And you just know she's driving her coach crazy, but she makes a lot of them. And so she's phenomenal find a chance to to watch her. And Paige, I'm really interested as a basketball mom. What are your thoughts? Yes. You know, I have thoughts about this, Kevin. This is one of my favorite headlines we've done. We like March Madness a lot around here. So I have two thoughts as well, really, as well, really quickly. One, 
I'm just so glad we're finally talking about March Madness for men and women. Right. Growing up when they rolled the TVs into my elementary classroom to watch the ACC tournament and the March Madness, things like that. We were always watching the boys play. It wasn't there was no hype around the girls. And so I just love that because I have two daughters, both play basketball. My oldest being very, very big in basketball world. So um, that is what is the first thing. The second is Caitlin Clark is a big name around our house. Obviously have two daughters. They play basketball. So she is like. She's a hero around here, not just because of the logo threes, but um, because she makes it look easy, right? Mm-hmm. And so my daughters have now learned to translate that is she makes it look easy because she's practiced a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so she, and I think that's why she has fans like LeBron and Kevin Durant, because they know what it takes to make a logo three and not think twice about it, right? Um, and so I'm excited to see what she does in this tournament. I think for the the men, especially, it could be it's anybody's game, right? It's anybody's game. Um, the women have some some that are going to be tough to beat, but it's going to be really interesting to watch both of these um, brackets uh, move their way through the next few weeks. So it's yep. exciting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah. Obviously, South Carolina looks like they're the odds-on favorite in the women's yep. tournament, but Caitlin's going to provide an awful lot of moments, and I'm excited about that. So. That's exactly right. Well, good. Thank you for that headline, Kevin. That was a good one. And so let's get right into kind of what we're going to be talking about today. On our last week's episode, we made you aware of uh, two recent drowning events that our Redwoods customers had experienced. And after reviewing those investigations, one event was a medical event in the water. The second event was an unconscious submersion due to extended breath holding. We talked about those um, a lot last week. Um, Just since the last podcast, we've also had another one of our customers experience a drowning event. And this investigation, although it hasn't been quite completed yet, it also appears to be a medical event in the water. Right. If you remember, Michael Usman was with us a couple of weeks ago, and he presented that kind of drowning data from 2022. And he said two thirds of the events we investigated were medical related, meaning someone has had a heart attack, a seizure or other you know, medical complication in the water. And so we continue to see these over and over again at this point. Um, And first, in just the first quarter of this year, we've seen four aquatic events and three of those four, like we've mentioned, um, have been medical events. And the important thing here to highlight is they're going to happen. Medical events are going to happen. Um, They're going to happen at your pools and your waterfronts, but, and they can't necessarily be prevented, but how people respond, how your lifeguards respond to these events make all the difference, right? Um, how they recognize the event in the moment. Like Kevin, we were talking earlier when you um, were talking about, you know, a swimmer that goes up and down 30 times and they clearly know how to swim. So when you see them floating in the water, there's some, there's, that's, that's not a drowning as like they can't swim. That's immediately, you know, that's a medical event. How do I respond versus maybe a young child that's struggling to swim in a shallow end or a deep end. And so teaching lifeguards to respond letting them know how to recognize what it is in the moment um, is really important. And we talked about that a little bit last week at our podcast. So you want to kind of give a recap of where we are there and the importance of the lifeguard kind of understanding those moments. I do. I want to talk about that a little bit, Paige. Um, We talk about that being kind of contextually aware, right? Right. Every swimmer is not the same as every other swimmer. We have to understand that. Last week, uh, we had Becky and Kelly on when we were talking. It was a great conversation. Um, And they helped us understand the three D's of drowning, denial, disbelief, and delay, right? In denial, you just reject the truth of what's happening. I see it, but I kind of am blind to it. Mm -hmm. Disbelief, I have access to that truth, but I can't explain it. And so because it doesn't register with me, I'm I'm really um, 
I'm going to look away for a time because I figure that if I come back and look at them again in 10 seconds or 30 seconds, then it will, now it will register for me. It will make sense. And, and so because of those couple of things, the third D is delay. We delay. And quite frankly, just nothing gets better with delay. And so it's really important for us to start with that as we talk about ongoing realistic training today, because denial, delay, and disbelief and shock are all a result of a lack of consistent and realistic training. So if you think about the research that we've looked into, consistent practice does three things. The first is it allows you to apply knowledge without having to think very much about it. Right. Second is it allows you to problem solve while utilizing the skill, right? The skill is kind of the autopilot thing. Now I'm applying it to the current situation and the current context. And then the third thing, which is crucial, is it boosts your confidence. Like I've been here before. I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I'm not searching around for somebody to help me. I go in confidently. So for a lifeguard to respond immediately and appropriately, they need to feel that confidence. They need to basically sort of be on autopilot so that they can problem solve in the moment. And that takes practice. So let's reintroduce our guest for today, Maggie McDonald, Redwood's technical development consultant, aquatic specialist, and all-around great person. Maggie, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Maggie. Maggie, we have a thousand questions for you, of course, okay. uh, but Get ready. <laughs> well, let's start with a, uh, just a really clear one. I've used already the term a couple of times, ongoing realistic training today. Tell us a little bit about why we've chosen to use this language as opposed to maybe the more traditional language of in-service training. Sure. So uh, certainly at Redwoods, we're pivoting that language because we we want to stop thinking about training as just that Sunday afternoon that we took four hours to meet with our staff and, you know, do swimming, right? We swim 300 yards, sometimes 500 yards, um, or just do backboarding or talk about administrative things, um, you know, how to do a chemical reading or um, a certain update on, you know, how we're calculating how many people are in our pool or other member issues, um, that's typically what we're seeing. And we really need to talk about training in a different way. We want it to be ongoing. We want it to be every day. And there needs to be intentionality around that, especially when times have changed. Staffing is a lot harder. It's harder to get a bunch of teenagers sometimes to the pool on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. They have busy schedules, right? Paige, I'm sure your daughters, um, it's hard to fit anything in. Um, and so, being creative to find that time during a shift that already exists or um, carving it out in the summer to times where your staff might already be with you is a way to make sure that you can have ongoing realistic training. That's great. And so Maggie, thinking about that, when we say realistic, what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean in like training and in practice? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the 300 yards, right? Um, A lot of people are doing that 300 yard swim. Now, the challenge with that is most pools are not 300 yards and most lifeguards are not going to have to swim 300 yards to get somebody out of the pool. And so that's all well and good. We need our lifeguards to be in good physical shape so that they can pull somebody out of the pool. Um, But how do we adapt that um, physical you know, attitude and uh, ability to the realistic scenario of their pool or their waterfront. So if you're on the ocean, sure, you need to be physically fit, um, but maybe not 300 yards, right? Can we run into the water? Can we come out and do compressions? Can we 
have bodies of all shapes and sizes that we're learning to pull out of our pools. Because in reality, we've had several situations where we have larger adults where it's incredibly hard for somebody to lift them out. And we're not ready for that because we've not trained to those situations. We're using mannequins that come, um, you know, when through the American Red Cross. So we really need to be creative and think about real life situations that might occur. Oh yeah. That's really good. <laughs> Maggie, go a little deeper and, and talk about realistic. You just talked about bodies and shapes of all sizes and all that. Yeah. Kind of, what does realistic really mean? What are some of those elements? Sure. So some of the elements are actually putting your hands on a human being, um, practicing the skills that are needed when we watch an actual drowning, which is there's value in going and Googling, like Michael said on his podcast episode, going and watching these things happen. Um, you know, actually putting your hands on somebody's airway and learning how that feels is so different than a mannequin. Um, taking time to understand the reality of your facility, right? What are the realistic components of your day-to-day -day operation that might change how you have to conduct an emergency action procedure? And so those are the elements. It's not just bodies, right? It is, uh, it's not just an airway. It's, is this door locked, right? And how do we move through our facility? How do we get our AED? How do we work with our front desk staff to make sure that we know that in that crisis moment, that that practice that represents the reality of our facility, um, that practice is going to, we're going to rise to the occasion and we're going to be able to do it in real time. Kevin, it sounds like she's saying we really got to train people to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Like you got to work with human beings. And so you're going to have to touch their chest. You're going to have to hold their neck and you're going to have, you know, that's, that's a different type of training than just putting a mannequin in front of someone and, and seeing what they can do. You bet. You bet. So Maggie, to kind of shift gears a little bit, every organization is different. You kind of mentioned that you got to kind of know your facilities. You have to kind of know where, where things are. How do aquatics directors make their training realistic to that environment? So like you're looking at their pool or their waterfront, how do they say, okay, I know what I need to do, but how do I really get my training for what my people need? Yeah. So it's going to sound really simple Paige, but we need to do it in their space. So, so frequently our consultants will talk to aquatics directors and a lot of what they say that they're doing is practicing at other pools that is not theirs, or they're only practicing in one part of their facility. Maybe you have multiple pools. Maybe you have a pool and a waterfront and we're only ever doing in-service training in our pool. Well, that doesn't help us if somebody has a medical event or if somebody has an event out in a canoe in your waterfront, right? Um, those, those, are legitimate parts of your programming that we have to think about how would we rescue somebody? And so making sure that they're incorporating their environment and really testing throughout, you know, the morning scenarios, your morning lifeguard staffing situations to your 9 p.m. There's one guard on and how are they supposed to respond? So really trying to incorporate the environmental factors that are present in your facility. And it's as simple as doing it in your pool and doing it in the re reality of your staffing situation. Yeah, that's really great. Because I think, like you said, every pool and waterfront is different. You could have a pool that has a splash pad. You could have a slide, but you then also just have an Olympic sized pool that people are just swimming laps on. Mm -hmm. And the sun coming in in the morning looks different than the sun <laughs> going out in the afternoon. And so really just 
how could things happen in my pool or in my water fund is really an important question for those aquatic directors to ask. Mm-hmm. Maggie, one of the points you made that I think is really crucial here is we don't always have the same staff complement to support whatever's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It might be they've only got one person at the front desk. And that's different than what I might have in terms of staff running around the building on a Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock or something. So you got to do it in a way that's appropriate to the moment. Yeah. And I think uh, a point that both of you have just alluded to, uh, you know, sometimes we can't come up with every situation, right? Um, Sometimes our brains can't go there because it's never happened to us. And so, you know, asking your staff what challenging situations or where they would maybe be scared to have to respond to an incident. They might have invented this scenario while they're sitting in that guard chair and nothing's ever happened that they would say, if that happens, I've seen a pirate ship in the middle of the pool. If it happens in the pirate ship, what do I do? And so asking them and then actually doing live drills during your operation. I mean, that is the best fuel to understand what is your realistic scenario and how might you need to adapt your emergency action procedure so that you can make the promise and keep it true to that individual that we're going to keep them safe in our pools. Yeah, really good point. And so when you're thinking of aquatics directors, what, you know, them looking at their own pool, it's, it's daunting, right? It's daunting of all the things they have to think of. And so what, what if they need to feel empowered and educated to train their guards? Like how do they, how can leadership be present and empower their aquatics directors? What are we actually asking for from the CEO or executive directors or branch directors at this point to say, this is important and we need to make sure our guards are ready? So they need to make it a priority first and foremost. Um, And what that can mean and what it does mean to me and to a lot of aquatic structures out there is showing up on your pool deck, coming to in-service training. I remember as a camp counselor at the old colony YMCA, we had one of the executive directors, the COO at the time, Jeff Russell, shout out to Jeff. If he's listening, he's retired. So I don't know, but, um, Millions of listeners, man. Millions. millions. Yeah, we're going to be number one one day. (laughs) Um, He said, you know, this is an incredibly important job. You're taking care of people's children. And if you don't want to do that job, if you don't feel like that responsibility can rest on your shoulders, that's okay. Just don't come to training the next day. Let, Let the camp director know that this is just not the job for you. And that's perfectly acceptable. Um, We need to show up as the leadership to to make sure our lifeguards understand the importance of the role that they're doing. And frankly, we need to change what the culture is around lifeguarding. We have this perception out there that it's um, Baywatch or the Sandlot. And so we need our CEOs to show up and say, you're a professional rescuer. This job is huge. You're going to potentially save somebody's life. You mentioned that, Kevin, in the last episode with Michael, right? Um, greeting them and saying, you know, you're you're the person in between that um, happening. And so we we have to make sure that they're reassured of, of that every single day. Um, and if not every single day, certainly in in-service training. Yeah. yeah. Maggie, you village. know how much I love the idea of greet your guard. It's just crucial. <laughs> And there's a supervisor in the building every day and every lifeguard could have a supervisor walk up and remind them of that every single day. It feels very Mm -hmm. powerful to me. Yeah, that's right. Well, and it makes me think of, Maggie, if you remember, um, Tanya, our chief consulting officer, you know her very well. Um, In our the State of Aquatics webinar, she talked about comparing teaching 
teenagers how to drive to really, is this really teaching teenagers how to be realistic in-service trainings for aquatics. And it, it stuck with me because she talked about how, and I say that because I have one that has a learner's permit in my house right now. Mm. And it's not just on her. I could easily take her into a parking lot and say, hey, this is what you do to get in reverse, or this is how you parallel park or all those types of things. Um, or I could put her in the car and have her sit at a stop sign and just watch traffic go by. Right. And never, but she, what she has to do, what I have to allow her to do and train her to do is to get out into traffic. What does it feel like when the person in front of you slams on brakes? How are you going to react? What does it feel like when, hey, you know, you're trying to get over lanes, but <clears throat> these four guys are not going to let you get over. And so then what do you do when you miss your, you know, miss your exit or those types of things? That's where, and you have to do that in the state of North Carolina for a year mm-hmm. and with your parents signing off on how many hours you do that what time of day you do that. It can be, you, you have to have a certain number of nighttime hours to get your license. And so we spend <clears throat> so much, <clears throat> we spend so much time preparing people or teenagers to drive a car. We should spend just as much time preparing teenagers and other people to save a life in a pool, to mm-hmm. recognize what's happening in front of them, to be um, have that kind of initial reaction to respond. And that should come from, it's my daughter's not on her own with that, right? My husband and I both have to be in the car with her at all times. And so it takes the CEO showing up and saying, what does this look like for you today? Talking to those lifeguards, being present. It mm-hmm. takes the aquatics director pulling those safety meetings together. All the things you described is this is an active realistic, ongoing training that has to happen day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really important. I'm so glad you highlighted that today. And there's one other piece page that I would highlight is that we need to make sure that those aquatic instructors have the time and space to create a in-service training with intentionality, right? So I was in a yoga class the other day and they talked about motion versus action, going through the motions of in-service training, right? We go back to, we'll go through the Red Cross manual and we'll do backboarding and we'll do the 200 yard swim and we'll do some compressions, that's motion. Action is making sure that there's intentionality. It's listening to the trends that are out there. It's making sure that we're looking at Johnny or Susie, who are our lifeguards, and watching how they're succeeding and failing and adapting our training plan to those that are the people we're responsible for, to those that we're setting up for to save a possible life. And so if our aquatics directors are sitting in lifeguard stands for 40 hours a week, which sometimes they are, that's the hard truth of this job is they're sitting in lifeguard stands for too long. They can't do that work. They can't put their brain where it needs to be. Um, So I think we really have to Uh, make sure that we support them as leadership to say, your job is to lead this team, is to make them better. It is not to sit in a guard and be a full-time lifeguard. Yep. Yeah. Which means you have to give them the resources to be properly staffed, to compete for the best lifeguards so that they can be the leader that they need to be. Absolutely. Maggie, uh, we are really grateful for all you do every day uh, to make pool decks around this country safer. And we're grateful that you took a little bit of time uh, off of that work to chat with us today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thank you. As I know you've been waiting with bated breath because you know this is the moment for the big finish. Da, da, da. And Paige, I'm I'm going to take the first shot here. My big finish, and I think you probably see this coming based on everything that we've talked about uh, in terms of the um, 
how regularly we are seeing medical events in pools and what society's expectations are of us. My big finish is I'm taken all the way back to the football field in Cincinnati in December when DeMar Hamlin went down and all those first responders, because they had been drilled over and over and over again, were right there. Uh, they were there in seconds. They knew exactly what to do. We've talked at length about they had the scissors in the uh, AED box so they could cut the uni off. Um, they just knew what to do. They arrived with confidence in a desperate, desperate situation. And without them, DeMar Hamlin doesn't live. And that's really what society's expectation is of every lifeguard on every pool deck in our country. They know that even the world's greatest cardiac surgeon can't save every heart attack victim, but they know that we can give them a chance, right? We have the right technology to be able to give them a chance. And so it's crucial for us to be um, on our game. And the kind of training that Maggie talked to us about today is an example of setting people up for success so they can save a life. Yeah, really good point. I'll just add to that, Kevin. I mean, I would probably agree with you on that being the big finish is that this is life. We have to be present in it, right? We say that to people all the time. Let's take lifeguarding and things off the table for just a second. You want to be present in life. You want to know what's happening. You don't want to be, a, like you said, motion versus action. You don't want just to go through the motions life. You want an action field life. And so you want to train people to look at all aspects of that work personal and those things. And so as a lifeguard, getting them to show up every day and saying, this is life and I won't lose one on my watch. Right. And having that moment is just, it's really powerful and getting people to think that way is, is where we've got to get them to. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Thanks Paige. Let me read us out. Staffing Safety Society is created by the Redwoods Group. It's produced by Stephen Dosher, Melanie Young, Paige Bagwell, and by me. If you like the show, tell a friend, leave us a review. It means a lot to us. If you have a topic suggestion or any kind of feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to community at redwoodsgroup.com, community at redwoodsgroup.com, and we'll get back to you. You can find us on most social platforms by searching at Redwoods Group. Staffing Safety Society is recorded weekly in North Carolina. I'm Kevin Trapani. And I'm Paige Bagley. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks, everybody.